Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 160. A bad year for game creators is a bad year for games. It's really interesting that I've seen this sentiment floating around uh, in a couple of different ways. And I think that, you know, first I want to credit uh, Shinobi602, a good dude, friend, uh, who tweeted something kind of that that led me to to drive in this direction for, yeah. for the episode title. So I want to give credit where it's due. But there's been a lot of conversation about, oh man, the games that have come out this year are so great. And they are. And they are. There's a, a ton of amazing games coming out, but you can't separate. When we look back at 2023, I hope that we remember the toll that, that this year has taken on the industry, even when remembering how great the creativity has been from those wonderful people. The video game, like video games themselves cannot be sustained when your morale industry-wide is dismal. I, I, I'm going to be really honest. I think it is going to take years and years and years to rebuild the goodwill, the credibility, the trust, and yeah, the morale in this industry because of how, how rough it's been. And, and I hate to start the episode on, on this kind of down note, but the, real, the reality is, folks, and you'll see this when we get to the labor report. We're, it sucks. It, it's... You've seen and heard Amanda and I talk about for years, literal years, about the bad times. And when we talk about the bad times, you know, in 2019, when EA and Activision had massive layoffs in early February of 2019. We saw Capcom Vancouver shuttered. Yep. Telltale, you know, the original Telltale was shuttered that year. It was it was a lot of really bad news and a lot of studio closures all around the same time. And it was terrible it's not to say that we hadn't seen that before, because we have. Remember back before we had live service games, before we had games that had regular updates, whether that was DLC, microtransactions, whatever, the boom and bust cycle was always there, much yeah. in the same way that we see with the entertainment industry, but with fewer protections. Or in it, video gaming's case, zero well, protections. Well, I would say in 2019, there were no protections. Zero protections. Um, we have seen collective labor efforts... <clears throat> progress in huge ways um since then and that's really good but you know when we talk about what things used to be in the evolution of this industry there was a time where we were in a it was a i call it the gone gold to i lost my job pipeline yeah seriously where we had people at studios who were laid off in that period in between when the game when games were largely game you know uh, products as opposed to services yeah when we had people celebrating the fact that they had finished this work and didn't survive you know, in terms of in terms of employment at that company, to see the game ship and to see people enjoy it, and you to have not have like to be able to partake in like a launch party, in team morale and like building activities around the launch of this game that you've spent potentially between like three to seven years on. Yeah, you know, like this is it. It was it was always bad. This is worse. This is worse. We are. This is the worst I've ever seen it. And I said something to that effect. Amir Sotvat, who is, 
kind of a leading voice on LinkedIn in the industry, has done a lot of work on behalf of the industry in terms of pulling jobs together and uh, lifting up people who have lost their jobs. And he's just, he's really a bright light in a very dark period. But he asked, like, is this is this as bad as we've seen? Is this worse? And, and hands down, as far as I'm concerned, you know, as long as I've been following this industry, yeah, we had lots of, you know, we had that, and we'll talk about this over the coming months, I'm sure, but we had that cycle of acquisition to studio closures, EA closing numerous studios, Activision closing studios, Microsoft, Microsoft. I, I still, I'm still reeling over <clears throat> Microsoft's decision to close Lionhead, for instance, and that's years and years and years ago. So we we've seen this over and over again, but this this is worse than I can ever remember it. And look, if if you can counter me on that, if you believe that this is just a, a reframe of how things used to be, if you want to talk about that. But I think in terms of sheer number of jobs, we are looking at upwards of 5,000 jobs that have been lost in 2023 alone. And by the way, this didn't start this year. No, it started last year. Remember that we have been saying that we started saying this midpoint last year, mm -hmm. get your deals in before the end of 2022, because 2023 is going to be a recession and a contraction in this industry in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. And I think that people were prepared for us to reset a little bit. And again, you've heard of us course. talk about this, a, a post pandemic reset where there needed to be a contraction of some kind as the, the world began to open up again, as people began to travel again. Now it's important to recognize that COVID-19 is still prevalent. Yes. It is still something that, we are all still dealing with and a reminder to wear your mask when you mm -hmm. are wherever you can, um, especially during these spikes and to keep yourself and your family and your community safe. However, we knew that there was going to be this small contraction, but we knew that the pie itself had already grown, mm -hmm. not, not just visibly, but quite a lot. The general sentiment in the industry was, again, before the, the war in Ukraine and a lot of other things that kind of shifted that precipitated macroeconomic headwinds. You know, we expected a reset, but th we expected things to still be better than pre-pandemic yeah. because we had picked up so many new people in the industry. But because of the, of the constraint on discretionary spending, because of the stresses of inflation... That's just simply not the case. We are actually, we're contracting, this as you said. Over, it's an overcorrection, quite frankly, and not something that was precipitated by the entertainment industry itself. So that is to frame kind <clears throat> the rest of the, of the episode. The rest quite, of the episode, quite because quite this, is, this is going to be a difficult episode. Like, we still have, like, some bright spots. And even in the labor report, we have a number of bright spots. We're going to be talking about some new unionization efforts. But we do want to be upfront that... You know, we are going to be talking about a lot of layoffs and we're not going to belabor the, those points. Um, I think the big one being Epic, which we will talk about more in depth, but we will go through them because we really want to give you a scope. It, it's our responsibility to to give you the snapshot of what's happened in the last couple of weeks in the industry since we last recorded a news show. So with that, let's move on. Uh, we are going to talk about Epic first, aren't we? But not in the way... Oh no, we're going to talk about Unity we're first. We're going to be talking about Unity first because and then Unity Epic, yeah. is... Just continuing their effort to burn down every piece of goodwill it ever earned. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Um, so let's talk about this. So 
In a move that will surprise no one, Unity has said that it is very, very sorry for pissing off the entire development community. Honestly, I still to this day, I'm looking at all of the discourse online. I've never seen developers from all corners of the industry all come together and be like, this is the worst thing that we've seen in a really long time. And they were all like, all of us were so united mm -hmm. about it, which was just the most incredible thing. Because if you've ever either been in or paid attention to game dev discourse, man, things get ugly. <laughs> yeah. So do I believe that Unity is sorry? No, I believe no. they are. If, if anything, they're sorry that that... You know, they're sorry they got caught. Yeah. But this is this is a, a factor of bad planning. Like, you do not do this without really engaging your community and doing it in a way that is holistic. And they failed to do that. Uh, it's almost like they took a page out of uh, Wizards of the Coast book. Yeah, right. So this is, you know, and, and a friend of ours, uh, who I'm not going to name because, <coughs> you know, I don't want to put them on the spot. Someone who, who works at the intersection of tabletop and... Uh, and video games has dealt with both the OGL stuff from Wizards of the Coast this year and the Unity stuff. It has been a brutal year. It's been a bad time, um, folks. Bad but, time. But we but, have some new developments yes. that we do want to talk about. Um, do we want to run through kind of like and refresh on what the runtime fee is? Really quickly, if you aren't up to speed, which I, I sincerely doubt if you're listening to this podcast, we do want to make sure that we're, we're being inclusive. We're pulling everybody along with us. So what Unity originally said was, hey, we're going to start charging you effectively 20 cents every time somebody installs your game and no we can't tell the difference between when the same user installs your game over and over and over again so if you're managing your own storage on your computer and you delete some games and you're like oh a month later i want to actually go back and play that because that there's happens been an update. to me all the time oh, me too i manage my storage all the time and because we have really good internet and because we have ssds like it's not really a problem like uh, even a hundred gigabyte game will download in the blink of an eye so what a beautiful time. Oh God, it is. A, that, that part's a good time. That part's a great uh, time. So what, so then <clears throat> there was a whole lot in there and their walkbacks and they're not really having any idea how they were going to implement this. Uh, but the runtime fee is not going away, but they may be doing, depending on the, you're going to end up having to pay the lesser of a 2.5% royalty or the runtime fee. So let's run through the new developments. Uh, so they are still getting rid of that unity plus, which was that tier right above unity personal. Mm -hmm. uh, but Unity Personal is getting a revenue cap bump from $100,000 to $200,000. So if your game doesn't make $200,000, you can stay on Unity Personal, <clears throat> no problem. Okay. Uh, it used to be that for personal, because you weren't really paying anything, uh, you had to include the Made with Unity splash screen. Right. That's now going away. There's no longer going to be a requirement to use the Made with Unity splash screen. Uh, additionally, if you're on Unity Personal and can stay on Unity Personal, there's no runtime fee. Oh, well, that's helpful because that's like how much, how many game developers, how many micro studios use personal like. And well, I, th I think that number is going to go down, <laughs> quite frankly. Well, I'm talking about for now, though. For now. For the now. Yeah. Uh, games that have already shipped are not going to be subject to the runtime fee. And I think this was their lawyer stepping in and saying, we have a huge problem here because there was going to be a class action suit. People who shipped games under one uh, set of business understandings you know, suddenly being told, okay, your game that shipped four years ago and suddenly has a spike. I'm going to look at, let's say, Among Us, right? Among Us being a rare example, but that game shipped <laughs> and didn't really take off until Sorry. a couple of years later. So if you are in, a, in that rare Among Us situation, we recognize that that is not common. 
and suddenly you have a game that's shipped with no runtime fee, no royalty, no royalties, whatever. Sure. And suddenly, two years later, your game takes off because a, a mass of content creators is paying attention to it and people suddenly discover your game. Yeah. Which then, does happen. Then under the original proposal, proposal, the original mandate from Unity, you would have I been on the hook. That, I love that you had to change that, though, because it's like, a, it was a, no, 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 mandate. Yeah. No, it wasn't good. a proposal. They no, kind of just, no. and that's part of the problem on top of everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's good. That was a lawsuit <laughs> waiting to happen. And I have a funny feeling Unity's lawyers looked at them and said, you are going to end up in court and you will lose because you are changing the terms of a game that has shipped years ago. Yeah, it was it it was it was mustache twirling amounts of of evil, yep. quite frankly, and it was for pure capitalism's sake. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't to help developers. It wasn't to help anybody other than their own bottom line. Yeah, and listen, business we we're business analysts. Like we know mm -hmm. business is business, and at the same time, business is people. You can't separate. There, there's a reason why we talk about goodwill. And we talk about it as an intangible asset. It does have monetary value. It does. It, does it, it is what fuels your brand. So, you know, if somebody were to to sell... Okay, I'll use Bed Bath & Beyond as an example, right? Overstock uh -huh. bought Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah. The brand. They yeah. didn't buy the stores. The stores are closed down. And the same thing happened after Circuit City. Somebody bought the Circuit City brand and was selling under the Circuit City label. You are buying the goodwill associated with that brand. Unity's goodwill right now is in the toilet. Yeah, exactly. And, it's sub basement. And you need to you need to consider that. You need to consider goodwill because if people don't think favorably about you and your company and your brand, they are not going to want to do business with you. That is correct. So for those people out there who are saying something along the lines of, well, this was just business, they don't have to take care of developers. It's not, you know, it, it's you're not in a in a personal relationship with them. You are in a personal relationship. Everybody you, you do have... business with, you are in a relationship with. Absolutely. And you either take care of that relationship or the relationship eventually goes away. You will you will cross that line. You will finally dump the straw on that canvas back that breaks it. Mike and I I especially, I have, I've worked in, in service-based businesses for the vast majority of my adult career. You know, I started my first business when I was 17 years old and it was service-based. I've worked with clients my whole life. The work I'm doing now as a producer is very different, but up until fairly recently, almost the entirety of my work was client-based or service-based. It was very rarely product-based. If you do not nurture a relationship, the relationship falls to pieces and the person on the other side, the person, the company, whatever, on the other side of that relationship will simply take their business elsewhere. This is something that many generations before us would, before millennials especially, would make fun of us, right? They would say like, well, what is your problem? It's business. And it's like, we're voting with our wallets. Yep. We're still doing that as developers, as analysts, as players quite frankly, in making the decisions that we make around, okay, well, you know what, based on this information and the fact that I can no longer trust Unity as a business partner, I will in fact be investigating additional options. Now, I don't, I work in Unity in my day job, like full disclosure, that's that's the engine that we use. But I don't know if that's, that'll change in the future. We don't know. That's the thing is that this is what studios are going through right now is we simply do not know, we do not have enough information to make intelligent decisions around the future of our engine. And that 
is deeply scary. Yep. I'm going to, I'm going to switch this just a little bit and talk about some marketing philosophy real quickly, because I, I want to explain you got why your marketing brain. I do have my marketing brain on. So we talk about high engagement purchases versus low engagement purchases, right? Oh, I love talking about high engagement versus low engagement. This is great. So you go to the store yeah. and you're making dinner. Yeah. And uh, as we often do, as we often do. And we do this all the time, right? Oh, there's a new brand of pasta sauce. Right. right? I'm actually really like, that's a thing I do now. I, I didn't do that when I lived in Vancouver, but living on the East coast, I'm spoiled for choice when it comes to like jarred pasta sauce. And it's kind of great. So <laughs> there are times we'll be like, okay, well they have our usual stuff. But I'm going to spend a few bucks and one dinner on trying this new thing, this new brand because it looks good. It's made locally. It's made with, with organic ingredients, whatever it is, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a low engagement purchase. You can undo that. You can make a different decision very quickly. It's very low lift. You don't have to think much about it. No, you just, you take a look, you look at the price differential and you're like, is it worth it to me to try this? Yeah. Sometimes the answer is yes, I'm going to try this. Sometimes the answer is no, I'm going to hold on and I just want to do what I normally do because I don't have the brain power to make new purchasing decisions right now. Right. Let's talk about high engagement purchases. That would right? be like a car. A car is, is the perfect example. Exactly the example I was going to use. And of I course it was. Of I, course. Our brains are melded. I have another I have another example too that, that I will maybe for this audience will work. But let's let's talk cars first. And I'm going to I like cars in this example <coughs> because prior to Elon Musk being the asshole, like the very public asshole that he is, as opposed to the private version of the asshole that he is. Yep. You know, Teslas were a status symbol. People really wanted they loved Teslas. Like there was the whole Silicon Valley thing around Teslas, right? Like the 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 show, not actual Silicon Valley, the place. And but also kind of Silicon and Valley. Now, place. What we've seen Elon Musk do is ev he has the the reverse Midas touch. Like everything he turns everything he touches turns to crap right now. The brand value of Twitter has disintegrated. The brand value of Tesla has disintegrated. It, it was, I think the only, the only company that he's ever been involved with that went from zero to hero was PayPal. Yeah. That was but, he was a, but again, remember he didn't found any of these he companies. He didn't found any of these companies. He was an investor. And then tries to retcon the whole history. But anyway, so when you're purchasing a car, you do a lot of research. Oh, a ton of you research. You take your time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and the reason you do that is because. Like, uh, we've been looking at potentially like replacing one of the last cars in our house that is just a gas vehicle because yep. I would like an electric or I'd like a hybrid. Yep. And I have been doing a year's worth of research and I still haven't landed on the perfect vehicle for me yet because I have like, they're very specific use cases, mm -hmm. right? I mean, for us, replacing a car is like a once in a decade thing. We expect that car to last for at least 10 years. Mm -hmm, exactly. And that doesn't mean we're not going to buy multiple cars within that decade because there are a number of drivers in our house and you know we have kids coming of age and all that stuff. But replacing a car. So in a, let's say a traditional nuclear family, two adults, two young kids, you're probably buying a car around every 10 years or so. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more frequently than that, depending on you know the frequency, like how far apart your two cars are. Anyway, you spend a lot of time investigating that purchase. But when you do it, you, you're kind of all in. Yeah. And you know that you're That's in for your a decade. car That's for like 10 car. years. So let's say you've driven Chevys for your entire life. How American of you. I, I'm used, I just threw out an example. I love that he threw out an American example. Though. Yes. And, okay, Pontiac. Still <laughs> my house, American. My house was an Oldsmobile house. 
So, oh, okay. Well, we were we were a Honda household. Okay. <clears throat> Moving, but let's say just generally, let's say you really like American cars and you prefer not to drive European or, or Japanese cars. Or you love Japanese cars and you don't want to drive European or American cars. Getting you to switch off of that you would know, take a lot. Like, would take a lot. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are devoutly Intel or devoutly AMD as a processor, you know that you have to have a motherboard that supports that. I don't even, I can't even go walk down this path. I can't. And for you to I'm switch a brand trader. Is, is a little bit less high engagement because the cost is a little bit less. You know, we're talking a few thousand dollars look, versus tens of thousand dollars. Look, we could have a whole conversation about processors and I, I can't. Like the fact that I, I, I mean, the fact that I have an AMD processor again for the first time in, in two decades. I, I've never had an AMD processor. I'm very happy with mine, by the way. Like ever this, this until this until this computer, um, which I didn't build myself, and I still feel guilty about. Well, that. We, it was also in the video card shortage. I, I think it would take me even more to move off an Nvidia card to an AMD card. No, I love Nvidia. Yeah, I do. So, so th that's what we talk about. When we talk about low engagement versus high engagement. Exactly. Purchases. It Choosing... takes it takes time, mm -hmm. and having to switch away to a new car or having to switch away to a new processor or whatever, something that you are as a human being or as a an organization are deeply, deeply invested in. But I want to talk about scale on this real quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So scale a, is huge. So purchasing a new computer probably every three to five years, right? Sure. Or absolutely. rebuilding your computer, potentially purchasing a new processor, which will require a new motherboard. So, you know, you're kind of tinkering at that point. That that takes a lot of a lot of investment of time and energy and research, right? Yeah. A car, tens of thousands of dollars, takes even more. Switching your studio's engine is hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars investment. The fact that we are seeing studios actively investigating moving off of Unity to Unreal, to Godot, to a bespoke option, whatever it ends up being, is enormous. The fact that Unity caused this, and I apologize that this was kind of a long walk for this drink of water. I don't think it's a small drink of water, but it is a drink no, of water. No, no. This I think this is really important to have the conversation about why this is so profound. There are folks that are not like if you're not a if you're not a programmer, then I don't expect you to understand this. I came up through programming. That's my that's my educational background. Once you know the foundations of what goes into building programming logic, object-oriented programming and, and everything that goes into it, moving from language to language is a bit of a lift, mm -hmm. but it's not too bad. Moving from engine to engine is an enormous amount of work to learn. You know, I, I went from, you know, very, very like business-oriented software development to web development, and now I'm in game development, all of these are very different disciplines. Mm -hmm. Each of them are very different disciplines. If I had to go from Unity to Unreal right now, when I'm in the midst of just learning Unity now, like yeah. it's, look, what we're trying to say is we know what a profound impact this is having on studios globally. Yeah. And I think this is one of those moments where we've been listening to developers. You're we obviously have. in a studio right now. You are listening to developers on the daily. It's true. But I love my developers very much. But our but our role here, especially as host of this podcast, is like we need to stay plugged in and listening to developers. And we've been watching developers talk about this. 
And anybody who hand waves this as, oh, this is just business, does not really understand the huge impact that this has had on the development community. And I think if you are not directly engaged in that, this is the time to be listening and watching how developers are reacting. And the fact that the mobile development community is oh, rallying they are is really the thing rallying. that's actually going to hurt Unity the most. Yes, so. because of ad revenue. So beyond what is going on with games already been shipped, okay, they're not subject to the runtime fee. This is great. We love that. When do you think, you know, do you do you think that the, the Unity personal is ever going to get pushed I don't think so. I think because the other thing that we're seeing is educators who are like, look, I'm not going to stop using Unity as a good teaching tool, but I'm not going to use it as the end all and be all the way I used to, where it was, oh, you have to learn Unity because Unity is the best way to, to, to start backbone. your game development career. Right. It's the backbone of indie development. I, I'm really glad that there's going to be a measure of, of diversity uh, with regards to education. Sorry, if you're hearing the jingling and jangling and all that stuff, that's just our dogs. They've decided to come for a visit. Yes. So real quickly, I want to run through the rest. Um, if you don't up, update to the next LTS or long-term support version, uh, you won't be subject to the runtime fee. So any games that are in development right now, we don't typically see, you know, especially as development has, is, you know, kind of through into alpha, uh, changing Unity versions because that can actually break code, if I understand correctly. Yep. Okay. Just making sure I understood correctly. Yeah, there's a big there's a big difference between versions of Unity. Sorry, I'm being swamped by dogs. Hi guys. Hello. They just wanted no, to. No, oh no. my goodness. No, you lay down, please. Thank you. I don't know we why we don't they're... have we don't have a door on our new office yet, so the dogs just kind of like wander in, and yep. they just need so much love. They both not do that, right now. Not that we're mad about it, but yeah. holy smokeroonies. All right, Ash is laying on her bed. There's there's one bed in the office, and the two of them jockey Fight for over position. It. Yeah. Well, we don't have room for two. We don't have room in the new office. Um, studios are now going to pay the lesser of the two point of a 2.5% revenue share or the runtime fee. There's a calculator on Unity's website, so you can start plugging some things in. Uh, and you remember how Unity said, oh, well, we know how many installs you have. Uh, you know that was that, bullshit. You know how that sounded like bullshit? It was Turns bullshit. out it was bullshit. So they need people to self-report installs and revenue. Uh, and Unity walked back the nonsense around multiple installs. Runtime fee is now based on, quote, initial engagement. So realistically, if devs are self-reporting, this will be based on units sold and not actual installs, which is... That's Again, this literally is this the is, same thing. I know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, remember how they removed their terms of service from GitHub? A snarky response from a Unity rep on Twitter indicated that the company wasn't trying to hide anything, you see? No, no, they just removed their terms of service because it had a low view count. On GitHub? Piss off. I know. Like, that's Piss ridiculous. Off. Unity's running itself like a private equity firm that bought a media outlet would track Woo! if this didn't smack of complete horse fluid. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Uh, the general sentiment we're seeing, as we said, devs are relieved for now, but extremely wary for the future. Many are still considering, diverse, considering diversification and moving off Unity because the company, quote, simply cannot be trusted. We've seen that sentiment multiple times. Um, we're seeing, and as we already talked about the educators. Um, the one question still remains after the Unity flip, flop, flip on Game Pass and cloud streaming. Now we're back to, yes, Game Pass and other subservices and cloud streaming do count towards the engagement count, but it's unclear who's on the hook. The subscription companies like Microsoft and Sony, the developers, no one seems to know, including Unity, because they never thought this out. They did not, this was not a fully formed plan when they announced no, it. No, this was something that was that was done to appease the board. It was done to appease shareholders. This was not something that was done in the best interest of their business. No. And I, I think that the longer and longer that they have folks on the board that have quite frankly, Silicon Valley big tech brainworms mm -hmm. kind of calling the shots, 
the more and more this is going to happen. Yeah, I, I think it's time for John Riccatello to go. I think, I think that that is the, the I, I think that that is the first major thing the company can do to start re-earning trust is get rid of John Riccatello. Yep, because we all knew when he joined in 2014 what the road was going to be. We knew that it was it was the road to IPO. We knew that this was going to fundamentally change the face of the company. We just didn't know how bad it would become. Yep. All right. So uh, after half an hour, uh, we're ready to move on. It was this was an important conversation though because I think, I think so, yeah. this is this has been the, like one of the hugest stories of the year. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah. So we have a couple of stories before you know a couple more stories up front before we head into investment interludes. So Amanda, what's next? All right. Next up is we are going to be talking about a major departure at Sony as Jim Ryan plans his exit. Boy, bye. Yeah, I'm not a, a huge Jim Ryan fan. Yeah, no, definitely no love lost here. After nearly 30 years at PlayStation, Jim Ryan will be retiring in March of 2024. I think when I, I originally started writing this, writing some notes on this and I called him the best paid jar of mayonnaise in the industry. That actually tracks. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually, I like that a lot. Um, Sony Group Corporation President, COO, and CFO Hiroki Totoki will be taking up the role of chairman of SIE effective this month. As of Ryan's departure next year, so April 1st, 2024, Totoki will be appointed interim CEO of SIE while he continues his role at Sony Group Corporation. Yeah, I could say something snarky like, I guess we'll see Jim Ryan at the CMA, but... Oh, wait, I said it! Ah. I said it! Yeah, so for those of you uh, who don't recall, that's the that's the UK Competition Markets Authority, uh, who was the... Uh, Sony Ponies. The, the Sony Ponies, uh, in the whole Microsoft Activision deal. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. Yeah, we definitely will. So all of the internal shakeups at SIE has made it impossible for us to even speculate who will be stepping into that role after Totoki's interim time is up. Either way... See ya, Jimmy. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if Phil Harrison, like, <clears throat> thinks he's getting it. Oh, God. Yeah, that'll be so good for Sony, have the industry cooler. Yeah, we'll come back to Sony uh, in listener questions, because Andy Pan asked a really good question. But for now, we have a couple of epic stories before we talk about the big epic story. Yes, we do. So we got a, we got a couple of good, couple of interesting stories, rather. So first up, remember that Epic got slapped in the face by Copa late last year? I in do December recall, of last yes. year. So they were forced to pay the FTC 400, or sorry, $520 million as a result. Um, and that's just to set the stage. And around that time, they also introduced cabin accounts for minors. As they work towards their, quite frankly, ridiculous metaverse aspirations, Epic has announced that they're partnering with the International Age Ratings Coalition to create age ratings for all in-game content in Fortnite. Now, look, I do love this. I actually do really like this. I think that the IRAC has has many flaws, much like the ESRB has theirs. Pat Vance is also on the board for the IARC, which yeah. is great. I, I really like Pat Vance. I think that she's really amazing, and I'm super grateful for everything that she's done in this industry. Um, but the fact that Fortnite will now have it both its first and third-party content rated by the IARC means that parents and kids will be able to curate their consumption accordingly. Yeah, I think that's really good. I wonder how that's going to impact how brands... Because we started to see brands implement, like, Fortnite creative islands. Yeah, I think... I wonder if that's going to impact things. I doubt it. I mean... Well, it's an extra bit. It's an extra step for them to go through. It is now an extra step for them to go through, but I'm actually going to walk through what it looks like. Okay, great. So here's how it'll work according to the post on Epic site. So when a creator is ready to publish their island to Fortnite, they'll fill out, they'll fill out the IRAC... Um, I-A-R-C, sorry, 
content rating questionnaire before they submit their island to be published so that it can be reviewed by Epic's moderators. When the questionnaire is complete, creators will receive an age-based IARC rating for the content of their island along with region-specific ratings. So you'll have to work with the ESRB, with PEGI, with you know, whatever region, regional based rating system as well. Yeah, there is an interplay between PEGI and ESRB and IARC um, for some of the platforms. I believe Nintendo does require your regional ratings That's board correct. requirement to publish. So for instance... So it is both, that is that is the case on all major, all three of the major pl platforms. Okay. You, you have to have an ESRB rating in order to be published on them. That is not the case on Steam. Obviously, I actually don't know if that's the case on the Epic Game Store currently, but I would imagine that if it isn't already in place, it will be in place soon. Yeah. And by the way, if you use your IARC ratings equivalent on your Steam page for an ESRB rating and you don't actually have an ESRB rating, you will get an email from the ESRB telling, at, telling, you, you, to telling you to take it down like right real now. fast. Yeah. You, you cannot substitute them. These are IARC participating rating authorities but they are regional. So if you want that regional rating, you have to go through the specific rating authority. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these ratings will be automatically applied and prominently displayed prior to folks accessing the content. Okay. That's okay. Good. So the IARC ratings will go into effect on November 14th. All right. Yeah. So that's how that's going to work. It should be, it should be relatively painless. For brands, I think mm -hmm. it's just kind of an extra, it, the, it's an extra layer of complication. IARC is the easiest uh, ratings to get. Totally easy. Yeah. ESRB takes forever. The region-based rating take a long, long time, which is why when you, and I don't need to tell, you know, developers this, but if you aren't, if you have never gone through release management on the development side, that's why you always have to bake in extra time uh, to make sure that when you are releasing on platforms so releasing on xbox playstation or nintendo whatever the heck it is uh right now it's switch who knows what it'll be next year mm -hmm. um you will have to make sure that you bake in that extra time because it always takes forever yeah oh, so, oh little factoid do you know why factoid. we see leaks via esrb and other ratings uh I, services i think you should tell me uh because what ends up happening is especially if you're porting a game and you have all the assets and you know that you can you have everything to apply for those typically what will happen is you'll fill out the form you fill out the forms and you'll say do not publish on your site before x and if your games get delayed for whatever reason and you forget to go back and be like oh crap don't publish this yet that's how it's popping up like on australian rating boards or south korean rating boards or even esrb yeah happens in canada a lot too mm -hmm. um so that so that's what's going on with the IARC ratings. I love this. I'm glad that they're doing it. I think that this is going to be good for kids, and I think it's going to be good for parents. I really do appreciate that Epic is taking that extra step. Yeah. Okay. So let's get on to the second Epic story. In addition to the introduction of the IARC ratings for Fortnite's content, Epic is also introducing additional parental controls for the Epic Game Store as well as for Fortnite as as well as for Fortnite. The guides they have on their site are reminiscent of the work that the ESRB has done for each of the major gaming platforms. If you don't know how to use the parental controls on any platform, the ESRB has great resources. If you don't know how to do it on the Epic Game Store, Epic has the, has great resources. I actually went through some of their tutorials. They're really easy to use. So a lot of granularity as to how much control parents can have over their child's experience. In addition to setting up cabin accounts, there's now the ability to set up pins to access things like adding friends, signing into EGS, or even making purchases. 
I'm all for the safety of kids. You all know that. I write, I write books that are about children and video games and all of that good stuff. But this is all very, very marred by Epic's overall assholery uh, towards labor. Yeah, we'll talk about that. You'll need to wait for that story. Report. But for now, it's time for Investment Interlude, where we talk about money, 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 money. All right. Uh, first up, co-development company Virtuous has announced the opening of a new studio in Tokyo. Virtuous has partnered with a number of Japanese teams, including Square Enix on Final Fantasy X and X2, <laughs> Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, which Ooh. I will finish one day because I really like the story, and Nier Automata, The End of Yorha Edition. Uh, Virtuous Tokyo is being led by general manager Pierre Guharo, uh, who has worked at 2K and Koei Tecmo. Uh, he worked on NBA 2K19, Civilization VI, and Dead or Alive 5. <coughs> Sorry. I, I, I caught the plague from our youngest, and I'm still suffering the effects of it. So, so if much plague. So if you're hearing me cough, I am okay. I'm not, like, sick sick, but she gave me a cold almost immediately after I got out of COVID quarantine. All right, next story. Supercell has acquired a majority stake in Ultimate Studio. Ultimate Studio! Melbourne-based Ultimate Studio is best known for arcade racer Hot Lap League, which Hot is... A- <laughs> which is available on both mobile stores and on Steam. Hot laps are waiting for your call. Enough. Oh my gosh. Knock that off. You. It is It is too early in the day for that nonsense. It's afternoon. It's time to throw the whole man away. Uh, Supercell has been an active backer in Ultimate's projects since its founding in 2018. According to Supercell's lead designer, Timur Hosilla, Quote, at Supercell, we want to explore opportunities beyond mobile. The partnership with Ultimate is one of the first steps in that chapter. Together, we will be able to reach and serve even more players around the world and create new titles that are remembered forever. All right. Uh, the UK CMA has given preliminary approval to the new Microsoft Activision deal. As you may recall, the new version of the deal cedes cloud streaming rights for Activision games to Ubisoft. The rights allow Ubisoft to place Activision content on their own services and any other services they may choose. Interestingly, the CMA notes that this deal includes both buy-to-play, which is like the Stadia model, <coughs> and interestingly, Ubisoft games are now available for purchase on Luna, Amazon's cloud streaming service. It is very likely we will see Ubisoft bring Activision games to the Luna service as well in the same way. Okay. So it's the Stadia model. It sucks. Nobody oh, likes I, that model. I dislike it very much. Yeah. I, I don't think I will personally ever use it. I'm but... never going to purchase a game on a cloud streaming service because I do not expect any of them to survive. Yeah, exactly. Now, except for maybe Microsoft's cloud streaming and whatever Sony comes up with long term. Um, multi-game cloud subscriptions are obviously included as well, which clu- which would include Microsoft's uh, uh, xCloud uh, or cloud gaming, whatever they, it's called now. So Sony it's Xbox service, Cloud Gaming. Xbox Cloud Gaming. There it is. Um, A new piece of info. The deal also requires Microsoft to port Activision titles to non-Windows operating systems and support emulation when requested. This may include Proton. Oh. Which would open Activision games to full Steam Deck compatibility. Side note, Diablo 4 coming to Steam (laughs) next week? Two weeks? A week? uh, So it'll be next week-ish. It's the 17th. Okay. So next, so Wednesday the 17th? You still can't get me back to play that game. That game's going to be good in like a year. I think they're making some interesting changes, which I have to go read up on. I've heard some positive I enjoyed, Look, I enjoyed the time that we spent playing, you know, playing the campaign, mm-hmm. but the first season of content was trash. So yeah. no thank you. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, also the ability to fully skip the campaign. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
You can do that before. Yeah, but I think they're, they've changed that a little bit to make it even better. Okay. And well, they're also reducing the grind from 50 to 100. Because... You mean from 100 to 50? No. No, no, no. I mean level 50 to level 100. You know how oh. much of it... Because it's like doubled the amount of time. It's bad. Like, um, our... Listen, my dad loves... He loves getting to endgame content, and it took him forever, and he finally is just like, you know what? This is garbage. I don't want yeah. to do this anymore. And if, and if dad's off it... Oof. Oof. Um, so, yeah. So that would be <clears throat> very interesting if more games were... More Activision game... Activision Blizzard games were Steam Deck compatible. The deal also includes all existing as well as future Activision PC and console games for the next 15 years. We will have a final decision this month, and... It does seem we have some heard some mutterings that this deal could actually close by next Friday, by this coming Friday the thirteenth. Ooh, spooky! What a lucky day. Yep. Uh, the FTC is of course continuing to try and challenge the deal, but time's running out for that, and maybe we'll be one day free of this story entirely. Oh man, I'm looking forward to that day. All I care about is the developers, the labor, yep. and improving the culture at Activision. Just Blizzard. just throw out the entire C-suite, including Mike Ibarra, who's just like freely engaging with elon musk which like i vomited in my mouth gross hard no uh last story in investment interlude today exola has announced the acquisition of accelerate xr which provides server back-end technology exola says that this aligns with internal goals of providing more efficient scaling for online games including cross-play and cross-purchase functions no terms were disclosed and that wraps up investment interlude and now it's time for a break Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back, just in time for... It's time for Quick Hits. Nice. Thank you. All right, very cool. Yep. Uh, some high-profile moves in addition to the mayonnaise report <laughs> earlier. <laughs> you um, know, I read that. I read that yesterday when I was doing my show notes, and oh boy, I had a good chuckle. Yeah. Uh, Chris Metzen, who retired from Blizzard in 2016 and co-founded a tabletop RPG company, Warchief Gaming, is fully returning to the company. Metzen has been an advisor, uh, a creative advisor, to the Warcraft franchise since December 2022 and is transitioning back to a full-time role as executive creative director at, of the Warcraft universe. A lot of people very happy about this. Uh, Chris Metzen, the voice of Thrall, typically opened up BlizzCon, big booming voice. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I have heard anyone speak an ill word yeah. of Chris there's over a, the There's years. a lot of people very happy that he's returning, and he's coming back at a good time, especially if leadership gets ushered out the door shortly after the acquisition goes through. Absolutely. What's next? Platinum's publicly antagonistic and privately friendly creative star Hideki Kamiya has announced he is leaving the studio. His departure is imminent with his last day planned for October 12th, 2023. Uh, GameStop has a new CEO. And Who it's, is it? Uh, it's Ryan Cohen. Oh my god. Uh, he isn't getting paid for it. Oh, okay. Uh, for once, we agree with Michael Pactor, who said something to the effect of they couldn't find a sucker dumb enough to take over as CEO. Well, you know, even a broken clock is right, like, once or twice a I'm, day. I'm just surprised Phil Harrison said no. <laughs> this is now the Phil Harrison uh, dragging hour, I guess. I don't yeah. know. And those of you who have heard my story understand. Oh, and yeah. And for those of you who haven't, 
that's not a story for the podcast. No, no, it is not a story for the podcast uh, at in, all. In his first email to staff as CEO, Cohen told everyone that every expense must be scrutinized and the, that he has no time for, quote, delegators and money wasters. What, is, what does that mean? He is, he's, old, he's, he's old man Potter from, uh, from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, that's what he reminds me of. Here's the deal, folks. If you're in a leadership position and you aren't delegating... It means you're a bad leader. Yeah, but bad news in general, because you don't have much left to cut, as we talked about last episode uh, when we covered their financials, and how all of their gains have been from cutting expenses. You can't do that forever. No, at a certain point, you're going to cut to the bone, and you're going to have nothing left. Yeah. All right. Well, here's one we hadn't considered, but somehow makes total sense. It makes a ton of sense. Uh, with EA Sports Football Club out and the FIFA license currently expired, EA is no longer able to sell FIFA-branded games. So all of them have been pulled from sale on digital outfit outlets. Sorry. So if there's one you wanted, now's the time to get them physically, especially if you didn't nab the FIFA 23 edition because that has Ted Lasso and AFC Richmond. And yeah. I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan. Like, like a huge Ted Lasso yes. fan. We even have, like, the Little People Ted Lasso collection. We really... Your, like, we have to move some of your bookshelf stuff up here. It'll it'll get there eventually. I, I did put, I did put up my journey collectible. I thought you were going to take box. Well, I didn't have time, so I okay. haven't done it yet. Okay. I'm going to do it later. Okay. Uh, Backerkit has announced a firm stance against the use of AI art and projects crowdfunding on its platform. This was Ooh. likely spurred by the recent hubbub as terraforming Mars publisher Indie Game Studios was caught using AI art in a Kickstarter <gasps> campaign That's for more terraforming okay. Mars. Kickstarter has a disclosure policy on the use of AI art and requires that project managers have, quote, the consent of owners of the works that were or will be used to produce the AI generation generated portion of projects. Indie Game Studios admits that it does not have the express permission, having used tools like Midjourney, Fotor, and uh, Adobe Suite, and Kickstarter still allowed the project to continue and fully fund. Boo, boo Kickstarter, and boo, boo the game studio for your unrepentant bull shrimp around this. This is boo. not okay. Backerkit has, as a contrast, made it clear no AI art with very limited exceptions. That include generative content fill and object replacement. That's different. Spell and grammar check. Different. And standard image tools like saturation, color, and resolution adjustment used on works created by actual human beings. So you so, mean the way that we've been doing things for literal years? Exactly. Systems AI as opposed to generative AI. Yeah. Systems AI, brilliant. So very proud of Backerkit for this stance. Well done. Hey, remember the case of the very bad fail better games founder, Alexis Kennedy, and the toxic environment he created at the studio, as well as multiple reports of sexual harassment? I, I do actually recall this. That was a really, really difficult summer. That yeah. was 2019. Um I thought I knew Alexis Kennedy. I, I wasn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say I was tight with him, but like I had a, a passing admiration for his work. And after that, whoo, well, could not get away from that more quickly. And after five long years, Fail Better and Kennedy have, quote, buried the hatchet and reached a settlement that will allow both parties to move on. And unsurprisingly, no details about that settlement have reached the public because you know what all i care about all i care yeah. about is is people getting taken care of specifically the people that it negatively affected absolutely uh we have some milestones to round out quickets minecraft dungeons has hit 25 million players as mojang and double 11 have ended active development on the game it doesn't matter 
still the a great servers game. are still up. Like you can still play multiplayer. That game is amazing if you like action RPGs. If you want something it light to play is with the stellar. kids, like it's so so good. And one of the things I love about it, I love this this new trend that hasn't fully caught on yet, but hopefully will. Where season passes persist. If you buy the season, like there's four different season passes for Minecraft Dungeons. If you buy them, you can switch between them at any time and progress any of them. It's, it's, I swear to you, it seems like it's a Microsoft thing because Microsoft does that with uh, Halo Infinite, ha- Halo Infinite yeah. as well. Although we haven't, we haven't even played the campaign. Like that's a different story. That's a completely different thing. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077's first and final expansion, <laughs> Phantom Liberty, has sold 3 million units in its first week. The base game itself has now sold. 25 million units. We have some additional details, too. We do, indeed. Uh, CD Projekt has now sold 100 million units across its entire portfolio. Yep. Uh, So, notably, CD Projekt also disclosed that it spent the following amounts on different aspects of the game. So, the original Cyberpunk 2077 development cost $174 million, with an additional $142 million in marketing spend on the original release. Holy snap! Yeah, but hold on. Because that doesn't include the $125 million in additional development, marketing, and goodwill expenditures to fix the (coughs) failed launch in December of 2021. Yeah. The Phantom Liberty expansion, and and I want you to hold these numbers in your head because we have a great question from Jeremiah in the listener question section that that will come back to this. They spent $63 million on the Phantom Liberty expansion. And they spent $22 million on marketing that expansion. So $85 million for an expansion. Oh, man. Like, that's a lot of money, folks. That is a lot of money. We are seeing wild. But that used to be the budget of, like, two or three whole games. Not a decade ago. Yeah, seriously. That's... I, I can't... I have a hard time wrapping my head around those numbers the, just in general. The other thing I want to say, say about that is those costs are a bit lower because that studio is in Poland. And the costs are compared to what it would be oh, in be double. the UK or the US. Double? I think it would be more. Double I, or I, triple if yeah. that was here in the I, United I States. Think if, I think if Cyberpunk had been developed in the, in the United States, I'd been a $500 million game. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Entirely, I believe that. I mean, when we eventually hear what the budgets are for behind Grand Theft Auto 6. Ooh. I would align those. Let's put it that way. I would yeah. align those two. No, no, that's fair. That's a That's a fair thing to say. Absolutely. All right, and with that... And those were quick hits. <laughs> I did that just for you. You're trying to get me to cough again. Yeah. All right, look. Uh, okay, so We have reached is... the period of the show where you should clench thy butt cheeks and brace thyself. Uh, yeah, because this is ugly. And the labor report, I would imagine, is going to continue to be ugly at least for the next four months. Um, yeah, we're not done. I can tell you that I have already heard mutterings that yeah. there's more coming. There's more coming for sure. So first off, leading off our labor, really dour layer labor report. There are some good things in here, but yeah. it's mostly bad. We saved them from the end so that we weren't just like dropping out <clears> a, <throat> an anvil on your heads. Yeah, we don't want that for you. And quite frankly, we don't want that for us. No. So more Embracer bad news. Crystal Dynamics, which is working on the new Tomb Raider game, has suffered layoffs. Ten people in marketing and IT were let go as part of Embracer's push for cost savings in the wake of their failed deal with the Saudi government. Yeah. Additionally, during Embracer's general meeting last week, CEO Lars Winchfor said that the company is exploring divestment and closure of studios. We've already talked about this a little bit. They've closed a number of studios already. Um, There is rumor that they are looking to uh, offload Gearbox. 
Um, but more studio closures means more layoffs as Embracer Group scrambles to deal with the fallout of counting its Saudi chickens before they hatched. Gross. Yep. Uh, Roblox has laid off 30 people, all from their talent acquisition team. Oh. We are seeing, and that's the other thing we're seeing. We're seeing a move to net zero hiring, hiring freezes in total, which means no backfill. It's bleak It's stuff. really bleak out there. And by the way, being on LinkedIn. Oh my gosh, it's so been, depressing. I'm oh just man. reposting. Anybody, anytime I see, so I don't even care if I know you or not. If you are in, if you got that green banner up, you best believe I'm going to be sharing your stuff because uh, if you come into my feed, I'm going to just make sure that your stuff gets passed along because it is ugly out there. Yeah. Blizzard has laid off 10 people on the Hearthstone team, including people who had been there for nearly two decades. Uh, like, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, and we're seeing that a lot. We're seeing a lot of seniors getting laid off. And I mean, the, they're on the bright side for seniors, you will have an easier time than folks in mid-level and junior roles trying to, to either break into the industry or move into different companies right now because senior roles are the ones that are available. Yeah. Um, in a lot of the double uh, A and triple I indie spaces. Oh, boy. Um, Sega has made the unexpected decision to cancel Creative Assembly developed loot shooter Hyenas just a couple of weeks after concluding a closed beta. This also means that layoffs at Creative Assembly will be happening with the company going through a consultation process first. Just a quick reminder in most civilized parts of the world, you can't just <laughs> blanketly lay people off. Um, in the U.S., uh, you do have to do Warn Act notices uh, when you're doing... If it's a layout. mass layoff, yeah. though. Um, but for the most part, uh, in the U.K., for instance, uh, there is a period of time that happens where you kind of explore other options. Um, most of the time, though, that does uh, result in people getting laid off. Yeah. Uh, it's a formality in many cases. Yeah, but... yeah it definitely is. Um, this game, though was one of those super games we talked about from yeah, Sega. I know. Uh, so the fact that that kind of fell on its face, not great. Um, Sega pins the cancellation on, quote, lower profitability in the Euro European region. Additionally, there are other unannounced games that have been canceled. That's such a huge bummer. I really like the folks at Creative Assembly. Yes. They're, honestly, they're a really, really nice studio full of really great people from mm -hmm. everything that I know about them. Uh, you know, working... As a journalist for years, it was always a joy to talk to folks from Creative Assembly, mm -hmm. so that's that really sucks. Team 17 has made the decision to lay off people across its business. The news first broke via Eurogamer, which shared the news that the QA department at Team 17 had been decimated, with approximately 50 people affected. I'm going to just address this real quick. If you are saying on social media that it's, quote, only QA, take yourself outside and throw yourself immediately into the bin... Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 straight into the bin. QA is the lifeblood of this industry. And anyone that says otherwise does not, does not actually understand how this, how this business works. Without QA, we do not have games. Yep. Games do not ship. You need producers. You need QA. You need release management. You need marketing. You need all of these pieces in order to make it go. You don't just need the boots on the ground, incredible creators. They are so important, but do not discount the importance of QA even for a moment. Do yourself a favor, go listen to our episode about QA, building QA departments really purposefully. It was our conversation with Carrie Toyama from 2020. It was, to this day, remains one of my very favorite interviews that we've yep, ever done. Absolutely. All right, continuing. Team 17 confirmed this news and that there are more cuts coming including to the usability team. 
Additionally, very important people in publishing. Mm -hmm. Along with this, Team 17 CEO, Michael Patterson, who had only been with the company a couple of years, has now departed. Co-founder and group CEO Debbie Bestwick is departing with Steve Bell replacing her at the beginning of 2024. So, Ugly. Yeah. Next up, Kotaku broke the news that Naughty Dog very quietly cut a bunch of contract developers. And you don't always hear about this because studios don't consider these layoffs because all they've done is ended a contract. It's just reached the natural end. Gross. Gross, gross, gross. It is. Gross. And and look, there's a whole separate conversation that we're not going to get into right now about this industry's overuse of contractors and inappropriate use of contractors. I don't even want to talk about it. Look, there is a, a, other than to say, there is a time and a place to utilize contract talent. That's when you need them to come in as creative mercenaries. They come in, they get the job done, they get their credit on the game, they get out, they move on to the next contract. That's cool. Yeah. That's the way to do it. However, yeah. that's not what happened here. No, the worst part of the report, if it's accurate, is an accusation that Naughty Dog told contractors who are required to work through the end of October and employees that they are not to discuss the matter. Technically, this isn't a layoff, as we discussed, because of these people being contractors. That does not make this any worse. It's the unexpected end of employment. It is the unexpected change in revenue for people who are relying on this. Absolutely. And when you're a contractor, you are living... From contract to contract. It's not that you're living paycheck to paycheck, which is, it's it's something that you get predictably. Your contracts can sometimes be, I'm here for six months and then I have to deal with two months that I don't have anything or six months where I don't have anything. It is a boom and bust and it is devastating to have to have the work completely cut off yep. at, at a at a time that you that you had no control over. Yeah, I, I think this is really crappy because these people need to find work. So if they're being told, oh, you have to work through the end of October, at what point your at which point your contract ends and you can't talk about it publicly, so which means you can't look for work. Get bent? Absolutely get bent. That's horrid. Yep. Um again, this is if this is if this is accurate, this comes from a report. We just want to couch this in. Of course, we don't know. Sony and Naughty have Dog not, haven't commented on this. Exactly. We do not have confirmation, so we don't want to get too far into the weeds. Yep. <sighs> Boomerang X developer Dang is shutting down. The company says that it failed to secure funding for its next game. Yep. Uh, it's really terrible. Um, what, this is an opportunity, if you have not yet had a chance to listen to the last episode that we published, which was an interview with Z, who is the founder and CEO of Serenity Forge, uh, talking about the challenges of being an independent developer right now. Z and an fan for life. Independent publisher. Please go listen to that. It was... It was um, a brilliant conversation. It, uh, like Z is a genuine joy to, to talk with, and he's very, very open about the challenges that indie developers and, quite frankly, indie publishers are facing right now in the wake of these these challenges around consolidation. Yeah. And, and for those of you who haven't had a chance to listen to one of our interviews in the past, we do try to approach them with um, a lot of humanity. And uh, we do appreciate the feedback that we've gotten from our Discord community about this conversation, which gives us even more confidence in telling you, go listen to it. Yes, absolutely. Because we don't do interviews very often anymore. That used to be something that we did on a regular basis. Now it's like once or twice a year. Yep. Uh, after 16 years, uh, co-development studio Puny Human has been forced to close. And I use that language very purposefully. The reason behind the closure is that in addition to the industry downturn, Puny Human was stiffed on payments from a partner that they are owed. That's the team names uh, The team named, positively, Striking Distance, which was the Callisto Protocol, yep. uh, Squanch Games, High on Life, and In Exile, uh, Bard's Tale, and Wasteland 3. Yep. And, um, 
as positive partner relationships. So none of those we would assume are the culprits. The company was 20 strong at the start of this year. Now it's liquidating its assets, including trying to sell off its IP for its titles, oh. Dystopia, Blade Symphony, and Galicide. That It's so heartbreaking to hear this. And this is happening more and more and more. There is a level of unscrupulous behavior when it comes to capitalism in general. But if you are not paying your developer after you enter into a publishing relationship with them, not only should you never be able to work in publishing again, you should never be able to work in this industry again. Yeah, I, I wish there were heavier penalties <clears throat> for people not for, for people not paying their bills. Um, I will tell you, like, look, we're business owners on top yeah. of everything. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening to this, F Squared, fully open for business. Uh, I started my new job, which I, I haven't really announced yet, have I? No, no, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to it. it. We're going to talk about it at the bottom of the show. We'll do some housekeeping at the bottom of the show. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, F squared fully open. Uh, but, but this is the thing we've had to chase people for payments before. Oh, yeah. It takes a lot of time. Freelance writers. How <clears> often <throat> do have we heard stories about outlets just, oh, uh, I wrote this article for you two months ago. I haven't gotten paid. It's like, oh, I'll chase that down. No, I just, honestly, it, when I left and I'll, I'll just as a very brief aside, when I left game daily at the end of 2019, I tried to move into being like doing more freelance work as a journalist and, and critic, but because my my bread and butter is business, right? And it was business for a number of years. It was very very difficult to get out there and work for a lot of these different um, these these different outlets. Number one and two, it was almost impossible to get paid. Yeah, when I was trying to break in in like 2015 2016 to do it full time freelancing just didn't just didn't cut it for me because there was one there outlet was that took six months to pay you eight months eight it was eight months to pay me and it was a minuscule amount of money um for, the, for them for the amount of labor that you put in on that work for them and and honestly it took eight months for them to pay me and there are still places where i have written you know and it doesn't matter because it was like a zillion and a half years ago so i don't need to do the whole name and shame thing but i just i didn't receive payment and it's not the end of the world for me but it is horrible for companies that rely on that revenue, not just to pay their people, but to pay their bills, it would have, it's, it's terrible for freelance journalists that don't have the security and stability that I did where I could absorb that cost. It's awful. Pay your fucking vendors. Yep. All right. Okay. So this is where we really do need you to buckle up because this is terrible. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about the Epic story. We have to. Yeah. Epic has laid off 16% of its staff. <gasps> which amounted to 830 people. Just to put this in context for you, this is on the scale of the EA and Activision layoffs from, from 2019, just by itself. Just by itself. Um, the news came as a complete shock, especially as Epic is a private company and doesn't have public shareholders to answer to. They do have investors, exactly. though, including Tencent, which owns 40% of the company. Now, we have seen a lot of this. <coughs> Tencent typically is very hands-off when it comes to its investments. Yes, typically. typically. Now, we don't know we what don't know what like... happened here. Yeah, exactly. But there's, there's more in information. So this is from, a C, uh, from CEO Tim Sweeney's note to staff. Quote, For a while now, we've been spending way more money than we earn, investing in the next evolution of Epic, and growing Fortnite as a metaverse-inspired ecosystem for creators. I had long been optimistic that we could power through this transition without layoffs, but in retrospect, I see that this was unrealistic. Include, <sighs> I just, okay. We're, we're going to talk about this, though. What, what has happened here and what has changed Epic's financial fortunes? Yeah. Before we get to that, though, let's, let's finish up what actually they did. 
Included in this spinoff, uh, included in this rather, is the spinoff of recently unionized Bandcamp, which has been sold off to SongTrader, a music licensing platform. As a reminder, Bandcamp was acquired in March of 2022. Jesus. Additionally, kid technology platform Super Awesome, which was acquired by Epic in September 2020, is being spun off with its leadership taking the company private. However, Epic's going to retain one of Super Awesome's most valuable assets, its kids' web services, that's the KWS platform, and which is effectively a parent consent toolkit. Which is what they're using on the Epic Game Store and is the thing, in fact, I just finished talking about. Yep. Uh, the, the divestitures amount to another 250 people on top of the 870 laid off with six months of severance and health insurance, accelerated stock option vesting, and early 401k profit sharing vesting. This is, in fact, not inclusive for folks that were working on contract. Right. And I need to, I just need to point that out because I have... Mike and I have friends that that were laid off mm-hmm. at, at at Epic, and I saw especially one of them, and I will not name their name, was saying that they only have thirty days. Um, and I'm and that barf. that's that's disgusting. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. 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 Uh, on top of it, there was there were stories where people like thought they survived the layoff, and then it's like, oh, we forgot to let you know yesterday you're laid off. So a day after, thinking that they had gone to sleep, feeling really sad about losing their teammates. Having survivor's guilt. Having survivor's guilt. But thinking they were safe and that they had a job, suddenly the next day, like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, we forgot to let you know yesterday that you were laid off. Garbage. Garbage. You take you take that one. I'm sorry. If you are the company, you, you swallow it. that. Yes, you, you, you take it. You fuck that up. You do not do that to a human being. No, th- nothing about the way this was handled was humane at all. The news first broke from Bloomberg before Epic itself even went public. And according to the report, Epic disabled Slack for employees prior to making the layoffs, meaning staff were cut off from colleagues during this extremely traumatic time. Speaking from experience, because I have gone through a round of layoffs back when I was in the media, it remains to this day one of the most traumatizing things I have ever been through as an employee. And I was a contractor, right, at the time. And watching as as an editor watching my writers drop off and then watching my fellow editors drop off and I was the last one standing it was one of the worst things that I've ever been through professionally speaking yeah and knowing that I had my colleagues at the very least on slack with me until they were hauled into HR that was something because we could all give each other our phone numbers and we could get on Twitter because this is before I was actively using Discord. You know, it, it was so important to to maintain that relationship and that that mutual that mutual support. And the fact that Epic completely cut it off is disgusting. Yep, it's it was just it's cruelty. Uh, Epic says that the cause of these layoffs were slower growth from Fortnite and a shift to lower margin community created content. All right, look, the reason why Fortnite is growing slowly is because you. Had to pull your shit off of mobile. This is this is the thing. You have... <clears throat> sorry, I'm really upset about this. I will... <clears throat> pull this in. You got a D-Jersey. I got a D-Jersey. Look, Epic decided to wage war against Apple and Google. They lost Fortnite on iOS, App Store, and on the Google Play Store. Huge amounts of money. Oh, just... They printed money on mobile. We don't have the figures for this right now. But I remember reporting on this when I was at Game Daily when they were announcing how much money they were making mobile on mobile, and it was astounding. It was a yeah. staggering amount of money. 
So not only did they lose all that money, but the amount that they have paid in legal fees <coughs> to continue waging this this stupid war that they are never going to win. Nope. Is just this is what cost eight hundred and thirty jobs. Yep. This cost. And was it worth the, it? No, of course it wasn't worth. No, it and, wasn't and he's, worth and it. And Sweeney's not going to back down. They're they're trying to go to the Supreme Court with this, and they're still fighting Google. Um, the company says, oh, it's not going to cut any products or make additional layoffs. I do not trust any company that says we're not going to do nope. additional layoffs. No, nope. Anticipate it. Tell me what the time frame is. Tell me what your commitment is. Like, because here's the thing. Oh, well, that was three months ago. So now things have changed. So we have no. to do layoffs again. Just, I don't believe. Stop. Don't say that. Just don't say it. Honestly, yeah. never say it because yeah. no one believes you. No one believes you. Um, Sweeney was uh, the keynote speaker at the recent Unreal Fest event, I watched a video this morning. He says that the Unreal engineering team suffered less than 3% layoffs, but business and marketing teams suffered greater than 30% layoffs. And he keeps focusing on the goddamn metaverse. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. That word doesn't mean anything. No, it's 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 buzzword bullshit, and I don't. I just don't care about but it But he also said, and this is, the, oh, we found out 10 weeks ago that we were, fire, that we were your financial CFO. fire your CFO. Either you weren't listening... Or your CFO failed you. But the fact that you didn't understand what your financial position was until 10 weeks ago is an enormous internal failure. And if you were a publicly traded company, your shareholders would be with torches and pitchforks at your door. Which kind of brings me to my own personal comment. So back in 2018, I think, I wrote a story about Sweeney and my interpretation of his leadership style, which at the time, you know, looking backward at his at his career was very servant leadership right he was in the trenches he was a developer he was doing things that were going to be for the greater good of development and it was this very naive way for me to see the world now i like i said i, I it, it aged so poorly i regret ever giving that any air god i was so naive back in the day and after all of these years of being on the analysis side as opposed to being on the media. And remember, access journalism is cancerous. It really is because you can't say the things that you need to say and you can't do the investigations that you need to do if you're an access journalist. And in a lot of ways, I was still an access journalist. I was perpetuating something that now I simply wouldn't. So <clears throat> my own, I, I wanted to make sure that I addressed that because there, there still, there still is this part of me that wants to believe that everyone is inherently good and everyone is going to make good choices and that people care so deeply. But the last year and a half have really, I, I'm not jaded, right? Like I'm not a cynical person. I don't know how to be cynical, but I'm, I'm angry. Like I am, I am so angry and I'm angry at the past version of myself too, because I, I misinterpreted and I misunderstood so much and being on the analysis side and now being in video game development and production means that I have a completely different perspective. And I kind of want to go back in time and slap past Manda across the face a little bit, like just a little, or at least shake her. So anyway, I wanted to make sure that I address that because I think it's really important that we call out, especially on this show when we're wrong. Yeah. I was wrong. Yeah. I'm not afraid to admit wrong and i'm also not afraid to say when my mind has changed because of new information yeah i think it's really important that when we when we talk about the ways in which we've grown not just as individuals but as professionals we've grown our knowledge we've grown our understanding it's important to say look this opinion that i held 
five years ago is no longer the case now. And honestly, I was a different person five years ago anyway. So thank you for listening to my little brief aside. I think it was really important that I acknowledge that. I, I just, I cannot reckon someone who is so single-minded that they were, that they would willingly sacrifice effectively more than a thousand employees on the altar of a tilting windmill style fight against giants like Apple and Google with, you know, thinking that you're going to win. And, and when handed down that first failure, they should have just capitulated. And just they should have yep, because you know they're what? continuing fight. Because <clears throat> what was it almost a year ago now, right? Yep. That Epic and that the original Epic and Apple uh, verdict came down. Yep. And I, I mean, if look, they had turned, if they had turned around and said, okay, Apple, you win, we'll play ball. We, we thought that we had a case here. We didn't. We want to put Fortnite back on the store. They could have recaptured all of that audience very easily. Yep. And the money would be flowing in. Maybe they still would have had to do layoffs, but it wouldn't have been at this scale. No, I and when we covered it, it was exasperating covering it too because it was framed as this do Project Liberty. How much did they spend on that stupid video alone? It, they, they framed it as this do-good project, but it wasn't about that. It was about... It was self-serving. It was self-serving and it was capitalist. And, yep. and, and I mean, look, they're a company. They got to do what they got to do for their bottom line to a certain degree. But sacrificing a thousand people for that, that's it's such an incredible failure. It, yeah. It's such an incredible failure. This is a failure of leadership, quite frankly. It is. And it's something that, that should haunt him, but I get the impression that it does not, based on that keynote. He cares about engineers, not about the rest of the developers. Yep. All right. Let's move on. All right. All right. Go ahead. Uh, five of Ubisoft's <laughs> former executives, including two ringleaders of the company's toxicity, have been detained by the French police. Hell yeah. The story was first reported by French newspaper Liberation. 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 Uh, only two of the five were named in the reporting, and they are Serge Hascott. Uh, who served as chief creative officer and uh, his right-hand person, Tommy Francois, who served as VP of editorial. Uh, the Liberation story indicates that the arrests were focused on the editorial department, which was central to a number of the horror stories about sexual harassment and abuse at the French company. Get their asses. Yep. Get them. All right, next up. Speaking of getting their asses, terminated employees at BioWare Edmonton are waging a fight for better severance. The most important thing about this is that this is both geared towards the future as much as it is about the workers that are presently affected by these terminations. Now, for additional context on Canadian law, the Albertan courts have in the past awarded one month of severance per working year, along with all of the applicable benefits. Now, remember, in Canada, even though we have universal health care and everything like that, extended medical benefits include vision and dental care, which are not covered under um, the rest of your medical insurance, essentially, that is treated province by province. So seven of the people who were terminated without cause were longtime Bioware vets with 14 years of service. They were apparently lowballed by the company and have since filed a statement of claim with the Alberta's Court of King's Bench, requesting both fair severance as well as punitive damages over the way they were treated at BioWare. Now, this is directly from our source that we that we got this from on Twitter. Quote, in light of the numerous recent industry layoffs and the fact that BioWare's NDAs prevent us from showing our recent work on Dragon Age Dreadwolf in our portfolios, we are very concerned about the difficulty many of us will face while will face finding work as the holiday season approaches, said one of the terminated employees. 
while we remain supportive of the game we all worked so hard on and of our colleagues continuing that work, we are struggling to understand why BioWare is shortchanging us in this challenging time. Just get their asses, get them. I, I hope they absolutely, I hope that the Canadian, I, I hope that the Alberta um, Court of Kings bench absolutely wipes the floor with BioWare. Canadian courts do not for the most part fuck around when it comes to, to labor. So I personally hope to see a swift outcome for these seven employees and hope that this establishes a binding precedent for future layoffs that will force both BioWare and EA management to take better care of their talent. Speaking of taking good care of talent, while the Writers Guild uh, has come to an agreement with the movie and television studios, the actor's strike is still going. Woo! The voice actors have now overwhelmingly voted to authorize a strike. Let's no go. strike has yet been called, but bargaining is underway in hopes of averting a labor stoppage. We got an update last week saying that they've reached the end kind of of the negotiation period. They're now in like kind of last ditch efforts. Yep. Um, so the, the original agreement uh, that is over a year expired. Uh, will continue to op uh, they'll continue to operate on uh, under while they <coughs> they try one last time to make uh, to make a deal here. Yep. Uh, and if they can't, we'll see SAG after voice actors go on strike as well. We love to see it. Nickelodeon game dev Workingman has unanimously voted to unionize the union, which is formed under the theater union IATSE, the International Alliance of Theater Stage Employees, includes twenty people. Management did not voluntarily recognize the union, forcing the vote. I love seeing IATSE get involved here. Like, I've seen them, like, making noise, and now... now They're making more and more noise. Like, I'm seeing it on LinkedIn as well. Mm -hmm. Like, they're making more noise about the video game industry, and we love to see it. Yeah. We want this. I've got Let's some experience go. with IATSE. You know, typically, like, really good folks. Yeah, I So I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're engaged. Absolutely bad. Uh, speaking of unions, Avalanche, the Swedish studio behind Just Cause, has voted to join trade union UnionN. Approximately 100 of the company's 500 developers are part of the bargaining unit, which is currently in negotiations with management. Sweden's labor practices differ greatly from those in other countries, with employees entitled to join a union at their discretion with no company-wide vote required. Oh, nice. The unionization comes about a year after employees revolted against management's decision to hire someone who departed their previous employer after accusations of sexual harassment. Avalanche leadership ignored that individual's recent past while hiring them on, prompting employees to demand answers of CEO Pim Hof, uh, who went on to admit that the company had, quote, fucked up agreed beautiful love it love to see it yeah. all right so one more squeaked in before we started recording cd project red and other polish game developers are unionizing under the banner of OZZIP. the move comes after cdpr had three waves of layoffs in 2023 the union only covers cdpr staff working in poland or on a polish contract so those team members working in other parts of the world will not be covered. Which is expected, but we just wanted to make the clarification. It's important that we do. All right. And that is the end of a bleak and yet somewhat celebratory get their asses kind of labor report. Yeah. We definitely wanted to close with the kind of more uplifting <coughs> stuff because, oh God, it, it's all terrible. It is uh, not great, but we actually do have a number of listener questions. First this of all, week. thank you. We love having a regular flow of listener questions, so we're super glad that you are here. Uh, first up from dear friend Andy Pan. What are the chances that live service projects at uh, at PlayStation get axed as soon as Jim Ryan leaves? I don't think they will. I think that, I don't think so either. I think it's too important. Having a first party live service portfolio is really beyond important. Bungie. Beyond Bungie. Um, I think Sony's handling this right. Like, they, they acquire Bungie, they use Bungie to vet live service stuff, and 
part of this, the Naughty Dog stuff that we talked about earlier, is that the faction stuff might not be shaping up really well, which is what led to some of the some of the con like the contractors getting. Uh, we'll go with terminated because that's what happened. Their contracts were terminated. Look, finding the fun is really hard. It is. It's super hard. And game development in general is a friggin' miracle. I, I feel like we keep hearing about through reports about internal struggle at at PlayStation specifically, uh, and different philosophies. And it and look, this is a leadership thing. You are not going to get when you have big teams, right? You are not going to get everybody to agree on every decision. But through transparency, through building trust with leadership, if you can explain the reasoning, you can rally people behind the flag, even if it is a decision that they would not have made themselves. And I was recently talking to people high up at a studio. And that was one of the things they said. They absolutely loved their leadership because they could rally behind that leadership, even if they disagreed with the decisions that were made. And that's yeah. really a hallmark of good leadership. It is. Absolutely. But what's happening right now is, you know, Jim Ryan, for better or for worse, saw the need for live service in their portfolio. You and I have talked about this a lot, Manda, yep. um, about how Microsoft, very, very strong on, on live service, not as strong on, on uh, single player. Sony, extremely so strong on cinematic storytelling that for single players that sticks with you. Absolutely agree. I'm beyond excited for Spider-Man 2 later this month. So do I think that all of the live service plans that, that were in play under Jim Ryan are going to go away? No. Do I think that they are going to be smarter about it? Yes. And here's why. We've been talking about the Gassacre. Oh. And we are seeing hyenas, the latest casualty of the Gassacre. <coughs> Again, we went from games getting a couple of years to find their footing and, and build and retain an audience to yeah. a year to Following less than in. a year. And now we're seeing games get killed like before, <clears throat> right before they come out after there's a huge amount of investment in them because the prospects are not positive. Exactly. And not everybody handles things the way that Ubisoft has handled some of its live service titles in the past. Now, look. How's everybody enjoying Skull and Bones? Oh. Oh awkward yeah all right so that's kind of how we're thinking about live service projects at sie they're probably going to be fine i would imagine that they're probably not going to take on a ton more they're probably going to stick with what they got yeah so we have another question here that comes from jeremiah um and this is about budgets yes specifically so Directly from Jeremiah, I've been listening to a lot of people talk about the movie industry, specifically how blockbusters are considered failures so often now because of their insanely high budgets. And that got me thinking on if something like this could also be said and or applied to the game industry in a way. So the question effectively is, have game budgets gotten too large to be sustainable? Yeah, I mean, look, gaming has always been a hit-driven industry, and that has been one of... It's been extremely risky. It's still extremely risky. It's riskier now than ever because of the macroeconomic economic headwinds the reason why things were so good you know through the pandemic and even before was because money money was cheap and when we talk about whether we're money is cheap debt or specifically debt is cheap and if you have a low interest rate on debt so debt leveraging i know i talked about it before but let's talk about it <coughs> very quickly when we talk about debt leveraging it is if i can get a loan for three percent and i can make a return on that however i spend that money that's five percent i've effectively gained the two percent net Right. Right. Well, if your interest rate is seven, eight percent, you're not going to be borrowing to invest because Got whatever it. you get from that is not is probably going to be less than the cost of that debt. Exactly. And that's why we're seeing Embracer, 
layoff. That's why we're seeing Epic run into so many problems because Epic took on took on investments from Sony. They took on obviously they got their Tencent investment. Uh, Epic took investments from other places. So you know they were able to to pick up money that fueled the company long term. Remember they're privately held. We don't know what Epic's financials look like. Nope, not a clue. But but the reality is that studios have created expectations in players that they need to continue to meet. Every generation, every console generation, you know, we see increases in uh, technology, all of that programming against that, building out games against that has a larger and larger and larger investment. So we're seeing, you know, it was unheard of when we heard it's like, oh, this game has a hundred million dollar budget. It's like, come on, really? And now that's the reg, if not that's, much, much more. It's usually much, much more for like the what are people calling it now, like quadruple A or something like that? I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It's so bad. So I think that there's a lot to be said about about game budgets and about how inflated they've become. The big issue, I think, is that there is this enormous, enormous cavernous divide between indie and triple A. And we're not even just talking about triple I and triple A, but there is... You know, indie budgets, for the most part, don't tend to go beyond, you know, what, 20 million? Yeah. I mean, that's still a lot. I mean, it's, you think about it, like $20 million. But we're talking about privately, game. we're talking about privately held companies sure. that don't have additional investors. Sure, sure. Right? I think that 20 million is stretching that. But Well, if they don't have additional investors, I'm curious how your average indie is getting to $20 million in general, but that's, uh, those are questions that. That's a completely different conversation. Honest, this is also coming from somebody who's looked at a lot of pitches over the last three years. Yeah. yeah. So there, there is this, there's this cavernous divide, right? And I think that you can make really incredible games for sub 10 million. I really do. I think I that know you, you can. Like you can, you can make games like, right. I don't, I don't know what the, the budget is about this game that I'm, that I'm playing right now. It's called Killer Frequency. I love it. I really love it. I don't think this game was made for a ton of money, but I love the art. I love the writing. I love the voice acting. I love the pacing. I love everything about this game so far. And it is this very, very cool horror game. And I I know that this game, like it had to have been made for sub 10. But the problem is that because so much of the games, the game industry's focus is put on high profitability, they're not looking at investing in indies. Indies make games faster, cheaper, and sometimes better than many AAA companies can because they are able to pivot, because they are able to go through big design changes and they aren't thrown for as much of a loop. So I don't know. I I think that as we move more and more toward, and this is not about labor costs necessarily, by the way, this is specifically about, um, Investing more in tools, investing more in R&D, investing a shit ton in marketing, just like we saw with CD Projekt. Like, it's a lot. Yeah. And it's it's bloated, yep. quite frankly. They have, they have gotten too large to be sustainable. I think that as long as you're paying your people what, what they should be paid, you're paying them livable, sustainable wages. And I'm not looking at you, Blizzard, because I know for a fact that you pay your producers hourly. That's garbage, man. I know for a fact that you pay your producers hourly because when I was looking for a job, that was one of the things that popped up for me. 
Absolutely not, and in, under no circumstances. So anyway, the answer to the question, Jeremiah, is quite a, quite frankly, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Last one from Greg Alderton with Tim Sweeney switching it up for non-game devs. Why couldn't he have done this earlier? And we assume the intent here is why didn't they act earlier to save jobs? Was, okay. So if I'm putting words in your mouth, Greg, apologies, but that's kind of what it seems like your question is. But some, we need context. Yeah, some context here. Epic is implementing a per-seat licensing fee for <coughs> non-gaming enterprise customers, including those who use, you know, Unreal Engine for film or automotive or other product design. Retail, yeah. like any of it. Honestly, there's no reason why he couldn't have done this. There's they, no reason. There's no reason. And if it comes back to, we didn't know we were in trouble until 10 weeks ago, I refer you back to our earlier conversation. Fire, Fire your, your CFO. CFO. This is a failure of leadership. You have failed your people, and there is nothing to say you won't fail them again because I don't believe you've learned anything. <laughs> yep. All right. So with that, we have made it to the end of this episode. Thank you for bearing with us. We know that especially the labor report was extremely challenging. Thank you for indulging us early at the top of the show where we kind of gave you a, a snapshot of what's going on right now. We thought it was important to have that conversation. But before we wrap up the show in its entirety, I really, 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 really do want to announce your, your new job. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, so I just wrapped up my first week as the new director of business development at Leviathan Corps. Um, real quickly, Leviathan Core is a marketing services company. We work with very large uh, brand studios, publishers. Uh, I'm going to be doing a bunch of cool stuff. I'm going to be doing some traveling. I'll be at TwitchCon. If you're going to be at TwitchCon, hit me up. I'd love to see you. Uh, I'll also be heading up to uh, Montreal for MIGS. I know Amanda's not very happy that I will be in poutine land and she will not be. He's not taking me. I... He's not taking me with him. Honestly, it's rude. It's absolutely rude. I have friends in Montreal. I'm just saying. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, I'll go to the next one. But I'm really excited. I'm working with great people. Um, it is really lovely to still be uh, working in a small company. Um, Same. You know, especially right now. Same. Honestly, I, I have, I've wrapped up. It's all. It's almost been two months for me since I started at, you know, as a producer at Hackjack, and it has been such a joy working with all these incredible creators and programmers and they're just on it i i love these people so very much these are these are this is honestly some of the best work that i think i've ever done in the game industry nice uh yeah i had a very productive first week which kind of never happens um but yeah so leviathan i think has 11 <clears throat> or 12 people i mean it's a small staff but huge huge impact like man I, I have a lot to learn and i'm really excited to learn but the the amount of impact that uh a, this small staff has been delivering uh, for the for the companies that it works with so it's closely. Huge. It's just, it's, it's wild. I'm very excited. I'm super proud of you. It, su you. It, it sucks that after five years, you know, Mike and I, for the most part, are not, we don't have our day-to-day -day, um, together anymore because, you know, just a little bit of background. If you don't actually know how we came up through the media, both together and separately, you know, I started in game journalism in 2009, tail end of 2009, early 2010. And shit, we've known each other since like 2013, mm -hmm. I want to say. Yeah. And, you know, after we launched Game Daily and Mike was freelancing, so this was like 2018, I'm like, dude, come work in my newsroom. Come freelance with me. You know, how cool would it be if we built a newsroom together? And we did. And, and honestly, it was, it was really incredible. And then when I decided that I was, you know, I was kind of done with the media at the tail end of 2019 after nearly a decade, actually at that point it had been a decade, um, 
and we moved into making this podcast in 2020 and we formed up squared and we moved on to the jobs that we had, you know, prior to where we are currently we were together. Like we did, we did it all together and now we're like separate entities. Yeah. I mean, we've always been separate entities, but we're, we're like moving in separate directions and one day we'll come back together and Mm -hmm. maybe we'll make something really cool together. Maybe we'll write a book. I don't know. That would be nice. But anyway, I just wanted to make sure that, like, if you don't know us, that's kind of our background together and why we're kind of sad that we're not working together as closely anymore. But we still have F Squared. F Squared is open for business, which is amazing. And on that note, thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast, but we're not really on Twitter much ourselves. We continue to promote the show there. We, you know, Mike checks our DMs and everything like that, but I am fully off Twitter unless I absolutely have to be over there. Yeah, I'm mostly off. I, I, especially with the stuff this week <laughs> about removing headlines from posts. It's like, it's like the, what's the point? Every day it's a new shit show. Yep. Um, we are on Blue Sky. Uh, the show Blue is ski. there as uh, virtualeconomy.bsky.social. I'm uh, footerish.bsky.social. That's F U T T E R I S H. I'm ritualmagic.bsky.social, and that is ritual with a W at the beginning. So it's W R I T U A L, um, magic. Uh, .bsky.social. Yep. We also post the show on LinkedIn, on the F Squared account. Best way to reach us, though, if you want to be listening to the podcast on the regular, you can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Pocket Cast. There's always one I forget. Pocket Sand! Damn, Pocket Sand, every time. If you enjoyed our shenanigans and our analysis, please subscribe. And if it's possible on your platform of choice, review the show. We always love to know what you all think. Yep. Uh, You can always uh, send us questions. You can send them publicly on Blue Sky. You can still DM us on social. You can email on Twitter. I hate Twitter. Uh, And you can email them to us at podcast.squared.biz. We also do a call for listener questions in our Discord community every week. If you would like an invite to Discord, um, you can hit me up. I'm I'm on Discord at Futter, F-U-T-T-E-R. So you can ping me there. Um, I am still checking my DMs on Twitter. I am still checking the virtual economy DMs on Twitter. You can also hit... So if you My wanted, DMs are closed. Yep. If you would like an invite to the virtual economy Discord, we would be glad to accommodate you. Uh, just hit me up. And on that note, after an hour and a half together this time, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We will see you soon. 